But yeah, welcome back. It's good to have everyone here. If, and uh, so I want to just, again, um, with a, in a new year, uh, remind ourselves why we are in Build and what, what, what Build is all about. So on the back of your binders, um, we do have our, if, if, you, if you put it on the back of your binder, some of you might have just thrown it somewhere else in your binder, since it's kind of a DIY assemble your own binders now. Uh, but just the, the five disciplines. So the first discipline of Build is, is that we would develop the discipline of, of faithful leaders in number one, in shepherding our own heart worshipfully toward God through the Word of God. Um, secondly, the faithful leader is concerned for those in his home and shepherds them toward God with the Word of God. So first we're shepherding our own hearts, and then we're stepping into our own home and, and helping care for others and doing that same thing that we ourselves have been striving to be faithful in in our own hearts and lives. And then, and then with a heart and a home oriented toward God and His Word, we step into the lives of others. We step into the lives of others in our small groups and the ministries that we're part of and serving in children's and serving with our fellow leaders, maybe in leading ministries. Uh, maybe uh, maybe it's, it's, it's in evangelism. And then discipline four is about the faithful leader who is in all these pursuits, um, in their home and in the ministry of the church, in their ministry with those who are outside the church, is that they are pursuing the character of a qualified leader in the church, that an, a deacon qualification or an elder qualification in the church according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And those are things that are not just for those who are deacons and elders. Um, those are things that each and every one of those qualifications are things that we all ought to be aspiring for. And even the category of an elder who teaches others, we are all those who are in our homes and are in a position to, to care and teach those in our own families. Um, as we evangelize and, and share the gospel with others, we are proclaiming from God's word. So even just for those who even are not husbands and not fathers, um, even us have an opportunity to open God's word to people in our evangelism. To, so to that endeavor, we, we all want to be those who can faithfully handle God's word. Um, so these are all qualifications that we ought to be aspiring to, whether we serve in the office of deacon or elder or not. And, and in that, relative to sharing God's word with others, is that we want to be those who faithfully handle God's word. Um, as described really in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, and being faithful workmen in the work, in hand, our handling of the Word of God, having no reason to be ashamed. And so, you know, those are our build disciplines. Um, women in Wellspring have disciplines 1, 2, and 3. Um, the, these, are, these are disciplines uh, really are oriented around the heart, and the heart is viewed from an inward perspective. Um, and as we've talked about now, in, in the new man, which is unlike the old condition, but it's mixed, is that the new condition has new desires, new loves, desires to obey, but it also has remaining sin. And that new man therefore requires diligent shepherding, because if you do nothing, indwelling sin will poison everything that you do. Um, in heaven, we don't need to shepherd our own hearts, but now we must. Um, but before Christ, we couldn't lead ourselves away from sin. Um, we couldn't lead ourselves away from what we were. We couldn't evaluate ourselves. We were bound and caught up in who we were. But now, I can actually see in God's word. I can tell myself 
what to think based on what God's word has, has said. My, my, my thoughts and my desires are not enslaved to sin if I am in Christ. Um, we are new creatures in Christ. And we need to shepherd the inner person. And God gave us a tool to do that, primarily his word. Um, in Bill, we're not just after, and even it's the Christian life, we're not just after theological knowledge, biblical facts, truths, details, um, but we're after getting to know the God of the Word. Um, Psalm 73, and you don't have to turn there, I'll just turn there real briefly. It's just a, a good reminder of you know, why, do we, why do we shepherd our hearts. Psalm 73 the last verse says, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have set Lord Yahweh as my refuge. Um, we shepherd our hearts to the word of God because we are convinced that nearness to God is actually our good. Um, I don't want to just know what God's word has to say. I don't want to just check out box and say, hey, I, I read scripture today, but no, I want, to, I want to be near to God. I want to draw near to God. I want to draw near to God in his word. I want to draw near to God in prayer. And that's, that's the discipline of shepherding our hearts because it's driven by a conviction that that's what my heart and soul needs. I've, in your build packets, uh, we don't have a lesson on it specifically this year, although in a few weeks, Jacob Hanton will be talking to us about, a little bit more about the heart. But there's a, there's a package in there that talks about the heart and it, Various topics and areas that deal with the heart, deception in the heart. There's four or five passages there. Um, a heart for God. There's a handful of passages there, and so I'd encourage you if you, if you haven't been in build in the past, or even if you have, take a look at that resource. Open your Bibles. Read the verses that are there. What does God's word say about our heart? Um, if we listen to what God's word says about our heart, we'll, we'll come away from that convinced that man, I have a heart that's wicked, and and deceitful, prone to wander, man, driven by that conviction, that's going to drive, I need to be in God's word. I need, nearness to God is what I need because left to my, left to my own, I'm just going to continue to, to, to run after sinful desires and, be, and I'm going to be prone to being deceived by my own heart. So I, I just encourage you to use that resource. Um, and then we know that the house is our, the first place of impact that the heart is felt. Um, so discipline two is really about how we step into our homes in that way and, 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 and why we have those before discipline three is that we're not playing leapfrog over our own hearts, over our own families, just so that we can get into ministry. Um, but the man who is caring well for his heart and his family, that's the type of man that we want to care well for others with the gospel, um, to equip to teach others. Um, so as, as we think through and we consider um, these, these disciplines, um, and we think about, okay, we, we are in the second half of build now. This, if you look back over the last you know, four or five months in build, some of you, this has been a season at GBC and a season in Build that you might have seen significant growth in your life. Uh, and you might have seen, it might be the first time um, where you've been consistent in going to God and His Word. Maybe the first time you've considered how your own heart should be impacted by God's Word. You've been faithful to do your Build homework, not just because you're asked to do it or because you really want to be invited to take the trust next year, but because you've been encouraged of how the Lord has used 
deeper reflection on and greater prolonged proximity to the things that we have been discussing and teaching in here and how your heart is benefited from that. And if that's the case, um, we rejoice at the work that the Lord is doing in your life. I mean, that's, there's no greater joy than that, than to see God use His Word in this ministry to transform and to, to conform the men in this church into the image of Christ. And that's just, that's just, that's just a joy to see. Um, I know I've, the, the Lord has used His ministry in my own life, and I know in many of your lives. However, what if that's not you? Um, others of you might actually be feeling really discouraged at points about what you see and you don't see in your own heart. We're here coming off of six weeks of not being together during a break. Maybe you had some time off of work or school. You were with family and your normal routine went out the window. And maybe, maybe during that time, your time in God's Word went out the window as well. And if that's you, we're really glad that you came back this morning, especially when internally this morning you might just feel out of place. Uh, you might be thinking, hey, I'm surrounded by all these faithful people, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just not one of them. I feel, out of, I feel out of place. You know, if that's the case, you're, you're, you're not alone in this. Someone else here probably is feeling the same way. That's, that's not to excuse that or to be, be content to remain there, but it's a reminder that this is a fight for faithfulness. Um, to follow after the Lord is a fight. And it's a long fight. Um, if you're a runner, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You know, as we cultivate spiritual disciplines in our lives, we're, we're after cultivating long, lifelong practices of faithful shepherding of our hearts to the Word of God and not just you know, short-term resolutions. Although a short-term New Year's resolution might be helpful but what we're really after is not cultivating habits that will last us to the end of the year. Okay, I've got to finish my... They asked me to be on a Bible reading plan while I'm in build. Once I'm done with that, I can go do other things. Now, we want to cultivate lifelong habits and disciplines of caring well for your heart. So if that's, if that's not you, I would just encourage you. It's God's desire to actually make you a faithful man. Um, but you're not alone in your pursuit of, of faithfulness. Confess your weakness, your lack of faithfulness. Confess your sin. Uh, maybe, there's, maybe there's something in idolatry that's been keeping you from faithfulness to the Lord in that area. Confess that. Confess that to the Lord. He is faithful and righteous to forgive. Also, you know, seek help from your brothers, your discussion group leader, your small group leader. Say, man, I, you know, I need help. I'm struggling to be faithful in this area. Can you help me? Can you text me throughout the week just to, to check up on me? Can we get together? Can we pray together? Um, as we consider more the, this fight that each one of us are in daily to kind of cultivate faithfulness to God, if you can turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. And we'll just look at this very, very briefly. I appreciate one of the men in our small group brought this passage up this past week, so I wanted to look a little bit more at that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 1. You therefore, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, 
Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So if you've been around, you know, this is, this is really our theme verse for the ministry of the trust. Um, that which you've heard, entrust these things to faithful men. And, and in that ministry, what type of men does Paul instruct Timothy to look for, to train up, to be able to teach others? faithful men. In the context of GBC, one of the primary ways we look for this to evidence itself is in the life of men that would be invited to participate in the the ministry of the trust is men that are caring well for their own hearts, caring well for their own homes, um, that that are faithful in the disciplines of being a faithful leader in the home. And that's really the build disciplines. We can evaluate one way we can evaluate that is through hey is it a man who is committed to be, committed to a, be a part of build for the year what does their attendance look like what does their participation look like what's what's their effort how are they how are they interacting with god's word in, in the completion and even the, the the depth of thought that they've been, even placed in their homework you know that's not the only measure but there are things that can they are there are marks of faithfulness even in this ministry. So just be thinking of those things. But that the, this the man that Timothy's talking about in general, it's it's a faithful man, but it's also a type of man that is strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse verse five, he's instructing Timothy, Timothy, be strong in the great in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Our growth in faithfulness doesn't just happen, and it doesn't happen solely of our own doing. We cannot be faithful without the grace of God working in our life. But it does take diligent, prayer-soaked, faithful effort on our parts. If you read throughout chapter 2, you'll you'll find other um, exhortations, including uh, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman. Yeah, being faithful, being a faithful type of man that Paul is describing to Timothy requires diligence. Verse 3, if we, can, we read verses 1 and 2, let's look to verse 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Do you want to be strong in the grace of God in Christ Jesus, Timothy? Suffer hardship. Endure difficult trials, endure sacrifice, endure the uncomfortable, just as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Your spiritual life is that of a soldier. It's standing guard, it's waging war, it's faithful service. Verse 4, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. A soldier in battle isn't free to do whatever he wants with his time. While he's on duty, his life is to carry out the orders of his commander without exception. He can't take a couple days off because he needs me time or pass on difficult tasks. Everything he does is to please the one who enlisted him. So why do we fight to follow after the Lord? Why does a man sacrifice by getting up early to drag his heart out of bed to read God's word even when it's difficult? Because he desires to please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Because he longs to be pleasing to the Lord. 
And that's what Build is about. It's not about giving you a checklist of do's and don'ts, and you've just got to finish your Bible reading plan at all costs. No, we want to, it's about giving you the tools to help cultivate faithfulness to the Lord and the things that He has revealed to us so that you who are in Christ can be pleasing to the Lord. So as we talk about the build disciplines and, and what, we're, what, what we're after in cultivating in our, in our own Bible reading, in our own prayer life, and how we step into our home, our goal is to be pressing on to, Lord, I just want to please you. I want to please you in everything that you've given me. And uh, so that would, hopefully that's a reminder as to why are we here? We want to be faithful. We want to grow in faithfulness. Lord, help me to, help me to learn what it looks like to please you in all ways. And Lord, we, and we're thankful that, you know, in the flesh, we could not please God. But because of what he has done in Christ, we, he has actually given us new hearts, new desires, new capacities to actually please the Lord. Not on our own, but by, but by his grace and what he has enabled us to do and by his empowering Holy Spirit. So let me, let me pray for us um, just for, for our time together. We're going to then dismiss to our discussion groups. Uh, we'll stay in here. And then right around 8 o'clock, um, we'll be back in here. We'll, we'll, we'll remain here. Josh will be teaching to us. I think it's our first lesson on Discipline 5. It's a little Discipline 1 and Discipline 5 sort of combo. Um, the heart and what it means to uh, be one who hand, faithfully handles God's Word. So let me pray for our time. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for, for calling us out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of your Son. Lord, thank you for your patience with us. Lord, thank you that when we are faithless, you are faithful. Lord, I thank you that you brought us here this morning and you have placed us under your Word. Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to not only accept, but to submit ourselves unto your word. And I pray for even just the coming um, time with the men, that Lord, we would be, Lord, give us hearts that are soft and willing to listen, willing to listen as others speak into our lives, willing to um, be honest about where we need help, where we're weak. And Lord, I pray that we would be also men that would care well for others, others in our discussion group, others in our, in our lives, in our homes, with your word. Lord, above all, Lord, may you enable us through diligent pursuit of you. Lord, may we be pleasing to you. We can't do that on our own. We can only do that because of the work that you've started in our hearts and the work that you have promised to be faithful to complete. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. We'll talk through shepherding your heart. Uh, Bible reading practices, seeking to give glory to God in our Bible re reading practices to honor him. Uh, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that we can be together this morning. Thank you for the sweet fellowship that has already taken place and the sharpening and encouraging uh, that these men have been able to experience. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be able to join together openly and look at your word. And Lord, it, it truly is uh, a joy to sit under your authority, to be under your guidance, your direction, your lordship. And I pray that this morning as we uh, look some at your word and some directives for honoring the Lord in our Bible reading, Lord, I pray that you would mold us more into Christ's likeness. Lord, that you would give us joy and obedience, that you would give us zeal for holiness, and that you would be glorified in and through our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. All right, well, this morning we're going to talk about honoring the Lord in your Bible reading. And here we are, uh, almost halfway, halfway through uh, January and uh, starting a new year with a break from build. And I know, and then gathering back together, I know um, this is the first week back from build after a break. And within build, you're encouraged to pick a reading plan and go through the Bible in a year. And uh, it wouldn't be surprising if some of you may have stalled a little bit in your Bible reading and the consistency and, uh, and are seeking to pick that back up and, and continue to press on in faithfulness. And what we want to do this morning is talk about honoring the Lord in our Bible reading. When we talk about a quiet time or devotion with the Lord, uh, study time, um, what really should be on our hearts as we press forward in consistency in that? Why is that important to do daily? What should we be seeking to accomplish? What kind of disposition should we have in our hearts? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. It seems there's oftentimes a propensity to run to God's word or to run to God's truth when compressed by the difficulties of this world. You face a trial oh, I got to run to God's word or I got to run to prayer or things get really hard or intense or you're navigating a difficult circumstance. And so, oh man, I, I feel my need for God acutely right now. And so I'm going to run to God's word. But the reality is, is that what God has given us in scripture is invaluable, not only for the the difficulties and trials of life, although it, it absolutely is incredibly valuable for that. But God's word is invaluable just for day by day navigating this world in a way that is honoring to him. God's word is irreplaceable for the day of trouble, for the seasons of distress. But what we need to really hear and get our minds around, particularly this morning, is that it is good for so much more than that. The word of God needs to be for us our daily bread, that we would feast heartily on the riches of God's truth. The word of God needs to be for us uh, what nothing else can be, a, a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, that we would yield to God as his word day by day by day shapes and molds us and conforms us into Christ's image. That his word each day would be our sustenance and our fuel for worship. John 17, 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And God's intention for his people is that they would be made more holy and that God's spirit would bring this about in his people working through his word. There's nothing that should bring you to worship God to a greater degree than a right understanding of his word. As there's no more sure place to know God than through his word. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. How do you bring a worshipful heart before God? How do you bring a, a worshipful heart before God in his word that you might understand rightly what God has revealed and know God from his word and worship God in response to who he is? This is actually a discipline. It, it takes it takes self-control and it is a sweet labor to come before God humbly to come submitting yourself under God's word we shouldn't presume that we could just 
read a passage and conclude all the depths and, and mine all the riches without actually meditating and pondering and seeking his assistance in that. I, have you ever had your world rock, rocked as you became aware that a, that a verse that was very precious to you didn't mean all that you thought it did? Maybe you grew up playing sports and before every free throw you recited, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me right before you airballed it. Maybe that was just me. Well, what you thought God's word meant didn't mean all that you really thought. And you realized you butchered your life verse and now you're wondering, what, what do I do with my life from here on? This verse was precious to me. This was what I was supposed to be all about. There was a time late in high school for me where I had uh, a couple brothers were my best friends and um, we just had really, really sweet relationships, sweet friendship. And I was spending the night at their house and one of the one of my buddies and I just started talking about free will versus predestination. And we were talking about God's sovereignty and salvation. And at that point, um, I had been raised in a in a fairly charismatic theological uh, setting and so I was not um, a Calvinist. I didn't believe in the doctrines of grace. I didn't even really have knowledge of the various theological categories, but I didn't believe in God's sovereignty over salvation. And I had a bunch of kind of catchphrase taglines that I had been taught. And so we're talking about God's sovereignty and salvation, and he's pointing me to various Bible passages, and I'm arguing with my supreme wisdom. Well, I'm not a puppet. Okay, but what is. Ephesians 1 said, yeah, but, but love's perfected in choice. Okay, where does that come from scripture? Um, I'm not a puppet. <laughs> and he just, for literally four or five hours, he endured my ignorance of just appealing towards whatever I could grasp at to try to win the argument. And he kept directing me towards God's word. And after several hours, I'm looking at my Bible and, uh, and I, I just couldn't deny it any longer. It said it right there. He predestined you before the foundations of time. And um, I'm like, wow, God's, God's sovereign over salvation. And then I had this realization. What else is in scripture that I believe that's totally wrong? <laughs> and it was for me fuel to go, oh my goodness. I have not been diligent to mine God's word faithfully for what God has actually revealed. For what God has actually said. That was a challenge for me. It was really a rebuke for me in many ways to become more disciplined in seeking out what God has revealed, what he has said. And for some of us, this, this is a more natural propensity. Um, approaching God's word is easier. Maybe you felt ill-equipped to learn or to grow in this area. Maybe you just don't have a bent towards reading. Some people, it seems like they've always got a, a new book in their hand. And for others, you know, that reading isn't a normal practice. It isn't something you enjoy. But the reality is, is that we need to be diligent to bring our hearts before God's word. This is how he has chosen to reveal himself more clearly. There was a, a time before I had started a seminary with Grace Bible Institute where I was uh, listening to John Piper's series on men of whom the world was not worthy. Have any of you um, heard that series? He does a number of biographies on men, and um, they're like hour-long lectures. They're, they're really sweet, really encouraging uh, lectures that he's done. And I was listening to one. I think it was on Martin Luther. And 
Piper kind of goes on this rant, imagine that, of uh, men <laughs> need to learn the original languages and how incredibly important it is for men of our day to be diligent to grow in the original languages to preserve, um, pre preserve that. And, and I remember listening to that lecture going, oh, totally agree, that'll never be me. I, I know my strengths, uh, not the sharpest crayon in the box, tool in the shed, whatever. Um, that's just not, that's not my bent. Language is, is not my strength. And, um, but, but yeah, people really, other people really need to do this. And it was interesting because then a few years later, I had found myself in Grace Bible Institute and I was in my second semester of Hebrew. And so I, at that point, was making daily readings of just a few verses in Hebrew a normal practice. And um, at that time, I was kind of doing uh, some work for the church and then some work outside of that. And one of the things that I was doing was just landscaping. And so I'm, I'm riding a riding lawnmower, listening just randomly to the series again while I'm working. And Piper starts going on his rant about learning the original languages. And I'm actually doing it. And I'm like, Oh Lord, your wisdom is better. I mean, it was just, it just overwhelmed me to see God's grace that if you've ever approached God's word and you're like, language isn't for me, steep study, that's just not my thing. Uh, if God can enable me to learn other languages, he can do anything with you. <laughs> we'll just say that you have hope. Okay. There's, there's hope in that. Like I said, some are going to have a propensity that's drawn to this discipline of Bible reading. For others, the degree of discipline to do so is, is greater. Um, but no one's off the hook. We're all called to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. And the best way for us to do so is through his word. Is through his word. So what we're going to do is we are going to look at seven principles for shepherding your heart to honor the Lord in your Bible reading. That's what we're going to do with the rest of our time. We're going to make our way through seven principles as you embrace the discipline of shepherding your heart to honor the Lord in your Bible reading. And number one, the first discipline is this. Pursue God's glory. When we think about shepherding our heart with God's word, when we think about daily intentional time in God's word, and we are doing so to honor him, we must cultivate a disposition, a heart that is pursuing first and foremost, God's glory, God's glory. And this, this actually is a discipline because what is our natural disposition if we pursue something? It's to pursue what we want, what we can get, right? How many times have you come to God's word and left and went, eh, wasn't really that great of a time in God's word this morning. I didn't feel like I really got a lot out of it. I was in Leviticus and it was just a bunch of, you know, rules for Israel to do that don't really apply to me. Didn't really apply to me this morning. I didn't get a lot out of it. Um, that's a very self-centered pursuit of Bible reading. What is God going to do for me? And I'm going to judge if my time in God's word was successful by how I perceive God lived up to my standard versus I'm going to come to God's word pursuing his glory this morning. 
I'm going to pursue God's glory. And we know that everything in the Christian life is to be about God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And reading your Bible must be first and foremost about God's glory. It can't be first and foremost about you getting something out of it. Inevitably, you will get something out of it. God is faithful. And yet we don't read our Bible, first and foremost, to be good Christians. We don't read our Bible so that we can find a golden nugget to stay with us for the day. We read our Bibles worshipfully, wanting to glorify God by drawing near to our great God in his word. Turn to Philippians 1. I want you to see this with me. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11 here just for a moment. Uh, read with me, starting in verse 9, Philippians 1. Paul says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Why? Well, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. We must cultivate a desire to grow in our knowledge and discernment so that we can approve or discover or distinguish what is excellent so that we grow in holiness, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. Why? To the glory and praise of God. Your sanctification, your being conformed to Christ's likeness, isn't primarily about you. It's about you being a vessel to give glory to God. That must be the ultimate end of our Bible reading, that we would grow in real knowledge and discernment so that we would be conformed into Christ's image so that we would give glory to God. This changes reading your Bible from where your feelings are the dictator of the fruitfulness of your time in God's word to did I worship God? Did I humbly submit myself to him? Did I yield to him as my Lord and master? Reading your Bible is first about God's glory. We must pursue God's glory in Bible reading. Now, what do we do when we don't feel like we want to glorify God? Should that derail us from the discipline of reading our Bible? If we understand, okay, when I come to God's word, this is to be about him, not me. I want to do so worshipfully. I want to honor God. I want him to make me more like Christ. Okay, that's where I need to, to be disposition-wise. That's where my heart needs to be before God. And so I'm going to wake up tomorrow at 5 a.m. and I'm going to read my Bible. And you wake up and your eyes are crossed and blurry and you stumble out of bed and you're grumpy because kids left Legos on the floor and your feet are now shredded and you're going, okay, I got to read my Bible. Oh, I don't want to read my Bible. I want to go back to bed. What do you do in that moment where everything that you should be aiming at seems undone in your own heart? But we pray, and in faithful discipline, we fight what we feel with what we know, and we bring our hearts to God's words so that we would grow in real knowledge and all discernment so that we can distinguish what is excellent, which is to glorify God. 
one of the most foolish and counterproductive things we could do is to wait to read our Bible until our heart is in the right place. And yet that's the temptation. I, I don't want to... I don't want to adulterate God's word with an impure heart. And so I'm going to, I'm going to work in it of myself to get my heart in the right place so that when I come to God's word, I can get the most out of it. There's most likely some sweet intention in that thinking, but it's misguided. To think that we would go to something other than God's word as an aid to get our heart in the right place to receive God's word is counterproductive. In that moment when our heart's in the, not in the right place, what we need to do is not succumb to how we feel in that moment and neglect the right thing that God calls us to do. We need to do so anyway, even when we don't feel like it. And trust that God will shape our heart. God will affect our emotions. God will transform us as we seek to be faithful. Part of seeking to honor the Lord in your Bible reading is to humbly submit yourself to God, to his instruction, thinking less of ourselves and being concerned less of ourselves and more with God. And so we bring our hearts to God's word when we feel like it and we feel, bring our heart to God's word when we don't feel like it. That's why it's a discipline. And in faith, we humble ourselves before God's word in this faithfulness, trusting him to work in our heart. So the first directive in shepherding your heart who honor God in your Bible reading is to pursue God's glory. Pursue God's glory. Next, number two on your outline, depend on God is your blank there. Depend on God as your greatest aid. Depend on God as your greatest aid. So number one was pursue God's glory. Number two, depend on God as your greatest aid. The greatest aid in my Bible reading is God himself. Prayer must be a part of our Bible reading. To ask God for help in your Bible reading, to understand his meaning. What was God's purpose for writing what he did? What, what was he intending to reveal and if you're a believer, you can have confidence today to be able to read your Bible, to be able to read your Bible, grow closer to God, honor him, please him, grow in your faith and rest in his word. Depend on God as your greatest aid to honor God in your Bible reading. This looks like prayerfully coming to the Lord with humility and dependence upon the Lord Cultivate a humble disposition, a, a humble dependent disposition before God as you worshipfully come before him in his word. Prior to salvation, you could read God's word, but the natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Now, if you are a believer, you have eyes to see things about God, to come before him in his word, and to have true understanding, to welcome the truth into your life. You no longer are seeking to suppress the truth in unrighteousness, as Romans 1 says. 
And so how important is it then to come to the Lord in prayer, to seek his help, to see what you must about him and his word humbly and worshipfully, that you would see and accept what he has to say about the nature of sin and the danger that lies within, that you would, that you would gird yourself with the reality of the saving nature of God who provided a way of salvation and freedom from sin's bondage and the penalty through his own son that he took that upon himself Christ did and that you would be able to observe God's heart for righteousness and the holiness of his people that you would fill your heart and mind to love what God loves and to pursue those things and when we talk about depending on God as your greatest aid this isn't a dependence upon God where you're seeking some sort of supernatural uh, spiritual moment I'm depending on God and so I'm just gonna let go and let God I'm gonna you know, do the turn and see what word the Lord has for me today. Oh, I'm depending on God. That's not what we're talking about here. Some sort of spiritualization of our time in God's word. In fact, dependence upon God means that you're humbling yourself under him in faithful diligence. What is the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Right? Bible reading takes self-control. And when you're dependent upon God and he is producing fruit in you and you come to God's word and you go, usually I would read something and just rush to something else. But I had self-control to sit under God's word for 30 minutes today. I had self-control to work hard to understand the context of what's going on. I've had self-control over the last three months to endure a class that primarily spells out language and the function of language so that I can understand the relationship between nouns and, and subjects and verbs and predicate and nominative and all these different categories of language. And now when I come to God's word, I can actually see what's happening in the language and understand that's what we're talking about when we're talking about a dependence upon God. It's a, it's a yielding and submission to him. Not some sort of supernatural spiritual experience that we have a vision or something like that. That's not what we're talking at all about here. God actually gives us eyes to see what he's revealed and a heart to submit to it as authority. That's a dependence upon God. That's something that God loves to produce in his children. Eyes to see, ears to hear, as John talked about last week, right? To be good listeners of God's word, to hear God's word. Not supernaturally in some sort of audible voice, but actually to, to see truth from scripture, to submit to it. Number one, pursue God's glory. Number two, depend on God as your greatest aid. Next, number three, employ self-control in your reading practices. This really builds on what I was just speaking to, a dependence upon God for supernatural discipline. And one of those areas of discipline must be self-control. And I want to spell this out a little bit as we think through uh, just working within language, understanding God's word. So we're to employ self-control. Your blank there is self-control. Employ it in your reading practices. God is your greatest aid. And in this, you must depend upon him as you exhibit self-control in your Bible reading. Scripture is God-breathed. 
The Spirit inspired the Bible, yet he does not short-circuit the Scripture by whispering in the believer's ear what they mean. When we pray for his help, we do not pray that he will spare us from the hard work and rigors of reading, study, and meditation. What we pray is that he would make us diligent to work hard and humble enough to welcome the truth. The work of the Spirit in helping us grasp the meaning of Scripture is not to make study unnecessary, but rather to make us unconditionally open to receive it and submit to what our study reveals, instead of twisting the text to justify our unwillingness to accept it. And this takes work, this takes self-control, and this self-control in our Bible reading I put into three categories. And the first one is letter A, hold fast to the normal, that's your blank there, the normal use of words and language. Expect a single clear meaning when you come to the text. This is how language works. Communication is a gift from God to clearly communicate one meaning at a time, sentence by sentence. We communicate in order to be understood in these ways, and so it is with God's communication in Scripture. Isaiah 45, verses 18 and 19. Isaiah 45, 18 and 19. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in some dark land. And he goes on to say, I, the Lord, speak righteousness, declaring things that are upright. The Lord expected... Yahweh God expected the offspring of Jacob to understand him because his meaning in his words were not secret. They were not unfindable. God communicated to be understood. This doesn't mean that God has spoken regarding everything. Secret things still belong to God, Deuteronomy 29, 29. But what he has spoken, he has done to be understood. And that's important. Because oftentimes, people will appeal to Deuteronomy 29 when talking about Scripture. They get frustrated at different translations or views or understandings of a passage. And they go, well, God's Word says this, but I can't understand it. So the secret things belong to the Lord. The secret things do belong to the Lord. Scripture is not what is secret. <laughs> He's revealed it to us. And he has revealed what he has revealed to be understood. We do expect to discover one coherent message from one passage to another, and this takes patience, and this takes self-control and discipline. As we hold fast to the normal use of words and language, we let words mean what they mean. We don't spiritualize things. Scott Maxwell has said it this way, if a husband comes home from work and finds a note on the counter letting him know the hallway light is out, he doesn't conclude from that that spiritual darkness is welling up in the house. He reads the note normally and puts a new bulb in the hallway, and we're to read our Bibles this way as well. And this practice is known as the literal, grammatical, historical method of interpretation. You're taking into account the actual, literal meaning of the words within the grammatical way language works, laboring to understand the history or context of where this passage, passage sits and to whom the original audience was. And in this, you may come across metaphors. This is normal to language. This isn't unusual or unclear. 
And it's normal to language, and, and it's clear when it's being used. When Jesus said, I am the door, in John 10, we don't conclude Jesus is made of wood and swings on a hinge. No, the imagery is a metaphor, and Jesus is the entrance or gateway into eternal life. And it's good to, even when looking at metaphors, to begin thinking through, well, what is a door? What is the purpose of a door? What, what was Jesus trying to communicate by suggesting his resemblance to a door? It's important to understand that allegory is different than metaphor, right? You understand that? An allegory where you take a, a story or a section and you spiritualize everything and make it not mean the meaning is really uh, hidden or different than what the clear words reveal is different than a metaphor when you're talking about um, a description of what something is like. So first, hold fast to the normal use of words and language. Number, number two, or letter B in your outline, is actively equip yourself to understand God's word. Your blank there is equip. Actively equip yourself to understand God's word. Recognize this is a process. Be patient with that process. That can be, this actually could be uniquely challenging in a church with, with such a wealth of equipped men to compare yourself and to expect that you would be where somebody else is at overnight. If you're a new Christian and you start comparing yourself with different men in this church who have been believers for 20, 30 years, sitting under God's word, employing these very things, this kind of discipline, and you look at them and you go, why can't I just be that? That's a good desire. Be patient. Be patient with that process. It is a process. And yet actively equip yourself to understand, to get there. You can't equip yourself all at once. This takes time. It takes work to grow in your understanding of language. Work to understand the context of passages and books. Read your Bible. Reread passages over and over again. Listen, if, if the entirety of your heart shepherding is, is just listening casually to God's word, I listen, my Bible reading I listen to in the car, and that's it. You're, you're shortchanging yourself. It's not bad to listen to Bible audio in your car. That's great. Don't stop doing that. But don't be content to, cash, to only or exclusively have your interaction with God's word be where your divin, div, uh, attention is divided. Excuse me. Don't short-circuit yourself. Don't short-change yourself on that. If, if you have no idea when Ezekiel was written, to whom he is speaking, whom it was concerning, you'll have a, a lot of difficulty. And yet, simply knowing it was written around 570 to 592 BC to Jews captive in Babylon concerning the condemnation upon Judah's faithless leaders and godless foes and the consolation regarding Israel's future, you'll find much more benefit out of your reading. Take the time. Grow. And be patient. That's a process. You can't do that all at once. 
Lastly, under the necessity of self-control in your Bible reading, we must, letter C, understand the relationship, that's your blank there, the relationship between interpretation and application and implication. And this is another piece where self-control is definitely involved. Understand the relationship between interpretation and application and implication. There is an important relationship between the interpretation of a text and the application or implications of that text on the reader's life. While there's a relationship in these things, it's important to understand there's also a distinction. Interpretation and application complement each other, but can't replace one another. The application or implications of a text are best built on an accurate interpretation. An interpretation is this. Understanding the truth in the passage within the intention of the author. Understanding the truth in the passage within the intention of the author. That's interpretation. Interpretation finds the meaning the author intended in his historical situation. Implication is how the text implicates you. How, how does your thinking need to change? Implication. Application is the various ways that one may need to live or think in light of the meaning of the passage. Thus, simply understanding rightly an interpretation should not satisfy us. We should labor to understand how that intersects in our life. What are the implications of that text on my thinking, on my actions, on my living? And what do I need to do differently or how do I need to think differently? How do I need to apply this? We should labor to understand how these things impact our life, how they intersect with our life. life. And likewise, rushing to an application without diligent work of interpretation is actually a dangerous practice. If your wife reads Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves, and concludes that the meaning of the text is that she must regard her husband as more important than herself, she has conflated how she believes her life must change with what Paul actually means. Paul writing the believers in Philippi is helping them understand in the midst of persecution, Christ-like sacrificial consideration of each other over themselves is necessary. Yet if the passage means that a, what the wife concluded, what does that passage actually mean for the husband? Is he to love himself more than his wife? If the meaning of the text for the wife was to love her husband more than herself, is the meaning for the husband to love himself more than the wife? If there's to be one meaning? Of course not. The application, the way that that passage implicates a woman who understands that there is to be a consideration of others over herself, the application is to love her husband more than herself. The meaning of the text is for the believer to consider other believers over and above themselves as Christ did. Do you understand the difference there? If, if we rush that the meaning is something different than the meaning, now there's not actually one true meaning when the application is different for someone else in a different context. The meaning is always the meaning. 
The application might shift depending on the person and where they're at and what their circumstances are. If that's super unclear to you, come find me after and I'd be happy to try to restate it because I'm getting some blank faces and I'm wondering if I just messed everything up for you. Come find me if that's confusing. I'd love to clarify that more. We need to labor in self-control to conclude what the passage means or what the correct interpretation is of the passage. And then based on that, consider the application or the ways that that passage implicates you, the meaning or the impact of our lives in light of that passage. Sometimes this might be direct actions, something we're called to go do. Sometimes this just implicates our thinking. We're indicted by scripture and how we thought about things just needs to change completely. Whether that's thinking too highly of ourselves and we need to think less. And whether that's thinking too lowly of God and we need to think more. And again, this takes self-control in our Bible reading. And this honors God. When we approach his word this way, it honors the Lord to do so. This is a humble submission and yielding under his authority when we go, okay, you chose to communicate in your word, and I am going to work hard to humbly submit myself in diligent labors with self-control so that I might understand what you said. And I dare not impose my own thoughts, my own ideas, my own preferences, because I was too lazy to actually look at what you've revealed in faithfulness. This honors the Lord when we humble ourselves before him in this way. Next, number four, long to be purified by God's word. Number four, long to be purified. Everybody with me on the outline? We're jumping around a little bit. We went through three, then we had an ABC. Now we're on number four. Long to be purified by God's word. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 119. We're going to spend just a little bit of time here together looking at what the psalmist spells out in regards to just the preciousness of God's word and his desire to be purified by it. Number four, long to be purified by God. Just read with me verse nine, and then we'll work our way through the rest of the verses. Psalm 119, verse nine. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Keeping it according to your word. God's word has a purifying effect on the believer. We must desire this. We must seek this. We must long for this. This honors God. When we come to God's word because we want to be holy and we want to be conformed into Christ's likeness and we want to put aside sin and we want to put on what is righteous and right before God, when we want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, when we want to glorify God through personal holiness and submission to him, all of this pleases the Lord. It honors the Lord when his word has a purifying effect on our lives. And this is his desire for us, that his word would conform us more into Christ's likeness. And as we look at this, we're going to see seven directives for how we can come to God's word that it would have a purifying effect on our lives. So here's the sermon within the sermon this morning. Number one, or letter A, seek God with all your heart. Seek, that's your first blank in these seven directives. So long to be purified by God, letter A, what does this look like? Well, first, seek God with all your heart. Look at verse 10 of Psalm 119. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. You see, the word of God is not the end. The word of God is the means to an end. 
You seek God's word because you seek God. If we're to keep God's word, as verse 9 says, there must be a personal seeking of God himself. We must seek to love God, seek to worship God, seek to glorify him in our lives. And if you do what the Bible says, but have no love for God, all you have done is transferred your sin of self-worship into the sin of self-worship through legalism. You must desire God. You must seek him. You must plead with him to keep you near his commandments and his word because you want to be near to God. This is to be done with all your heart, not half-hearted. Number two, or letter B, treasure God's intention in your heart. Or I'm sorry, instruction. Treasure God's instruction in your heart. So first, seek God with all your heart through his word. And treasure God's instruction in your heart. Look at verse 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart. That I may not sin against you. There's a right fear of sinning against a holy God. So much so that God's word has been treasured within the psalmist's heart. Hold it in the depths of your heart. A deep valuation of the word causes the heart to keep the word. You must treasure the word so that none of its riches might slip through your fingers. Treasure the word so that you do not treat God's word carelessly. That you would steward it well, that you wouldn't forget it. This is how God's word must be in our hearts. As a treasure, carefully watched over and guarded. This is how God's word must be in our lives if we're to keep our way pure. And he says, treasure it because he doesn't want to sin against God. That's where we see the word of God helping us keep our ways pure. Do you treasure God's word like this? The psalmist understood that if there is not a treasuring of God's word in his life, there is uh, almost certainty that he will sin against God. But if he treasures God's word, there's a much greater hope of him keeping it. How about you? Do you treasure God's word? So much so that you keep it in your heart through meditation and contemplation. Next, C. Number three, long for instruction from God. Long, that's your blank there. Long for instruction from God. Look at verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. There is a longing here for instruction. Teach me your statutes. Verse 12 begins by praising the Lord, saying, blessed are you, O Lord. The psalmist breaks out in praise, and it seems he is immediately applying the previous point of treasuring God's word and is now praising God for his word. And in so doing, he humbles, humbles himself, he submits himself. And then we see in the second half of the verse, teach me your statutes. He submits himself under God. The psalmist does not see himself or view himself as over the word of God, bringing judgment upon the word of God. Rather, he is submitting himself under the word of God as a student. God is the authority. His word brings the instruction. The psalmist is the student. Do you bring this posture to God's word when you come? A humble longing to be taught, to be instructed. When you see a command that you don't like, do you run to all the ways in your thinking and logic to vindicate or justify your actions? Because what it says right there, no, nah, that can't be right. 
Or do you go, this is what God's word says, and whatever the cost, I need to be instructed. I need to be taught. I need to change. I need to be molded. I need to be conformed. The psalmist writes 176 verses on the word of God, and he continually asks that God teach him God's word. And it doesn't matter how much you think you know about God's word, you submit yourself to God and you plead with him more. I want more. D, proclaim God's instruction to others. Proclaim is your blank on letter D. Proclaim God's instruction to others. Verse 13, with my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. There's an accountability factor here. There's an excitement factor here, an eagerness. God's word is best kept when it's kept by someone who's proclaiming it. Everyone who proclaims Christ as his or her Lord is called to proclaim the word of God. And it should start in our homes to tell others of the truths of the word of God. And the more you tell others, the more you will keep God's word because it will be etched into your own conscience. There is an accountability factor here when you share with others. E, rejoice in God's instruction. Rejoice in God's instruction. Verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. As much as in all riches, if we're to keep our way pure, we are to rejoice in the word of God. Listen, this book reveals truth regarding the living God. This book reveals the truth about God and about you. This book holds the key to eternal salvation to a relationship with God, to fellowship with God, to reconciliation with God. This book lays out in detail man's past and what the future holds. Nothing is like your Bible. The eternal God who created the heavens and earth out of nothing, who spoke and what didn't exist obeyed and came into existence and yielded to his instruction. The one who created all of the stars, all of the galaxies, all of the planets, every molecule, and all of it is held together by his divine power. That God, that eternal existing God has spoken clearly in his word. And given it to us. And then, not only that, at the cost of his only begotten son, was crucified at the hands of his creation who was rebellious by those whom otherwise in their own sin wanted nothing to do with him, were helpless, godless sinners, enemies of God. He made a way for them to be reconciled so that while they wanted to suppress the truth, while we wanted to suppress the truth about God and unrighteousness, we were given new capacity, new hearts, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation of God, so that now we actually desire to know him and glorify him. All made possible at a severe cost, the blood of his son. That God has given us his word to know him. This book reveals the truth about God and about us. We are to find pleasure in it. Nothing's like this book. First Peter 2 says, taste and see. The Lord is good if you have tasted the goodness of God, particularly in relation to God's word that we are to long for like 
babies long for milk. And that's for every believer. It's not baby Christians long for God's word like milk. No, it's, it's all believers long for God's word like babies long for milk. That's the kind of taste we are to have for God's word, a desperate one. And if you don't find joy in God's word, again, don't wait to come before it. Taste it. Condition your palate under God's wisdom for God's word by feasting on it. Letter F, meditate on God's instruction. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. How can you keep your way pure? Meditate on God's word. Meditate on it. What is it to meditate on God's word? It's to recall the word to your memory, to think on it, to roll it over and over in your mind. It should dominate your thinking. It should dominate your thoughts and, and your life. It is to be thought about what it means, how it should impact, how it should intersect with your life. There's to be a deep consideration of God's word and what God this, expects. This word for meditating was the word used in the ancient world to represent a, a cow that would be chewing grass. And the cow would chew it until it became a, a cud and the cud would sit in the cow's mouth where the cow would chew it over and over and over again, trying to pull out every drop of, of juice and nourishment and sustenance out of the grass, savoring it throughout the day. This is how we are to interact with God's word. And then last, lastly, letter G, joyfully retain it. Joyfully retain God's instruction. That's your blank there. Joyfully retain. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. There's a delight here. There's a, a joy found in God's instruction. And there's a commitment to not forget it, to retain it. We must long for God's word to have a purifying effect on us, to be made more holy before God. Number five, as we wrap up, we'll uh, do so quickly with the last three. Humbly entrust yourself to God's wisdom. Humbly entrust. That's your blank on number five. So we're stepping out of the mini sermon from Psalm 119 back into our main outline how can we honor the Lord in our Bible reading? Humbly entrust yourself to God's wisdom. We must joyfully submit ourselves to God's wisdom. God gets to decide what is right. God gets to decide what is good and what is bad. And so we entrust ourselves to him by submitting ourselves to God's word. That is certainly a way to honor the Lord in your Bible reading. When you come with a humble disposition that wants to yield to him in every area. And this means our emotions are not to rule over our Bible reading. Rather, our Bible reading is to guide us, guide our emotions. Statements like, I just couldn't believe in a God who would want this for me. As an argument against instruction. Or, or I couldn't believe in a God who would fill in the blank. That, that just can't have any place in our thinking or in our words. We can't bring predetermined expectations of what God must say to various situations. This also means where God's instruction is clear, we don't try to defend our own sinfulness by pushing ways and figuring out ways to get as close to sin as we want. No, humbly submit to God's wisdom. God is God. We are not. We humbly entrust ourselves to God's wisdom. And then number six, trustingly 
resign yourself to the sufficiency of God's word. Trustingly resign yourself to the sufficiency, that's your blank on number six, of God's word. Second Peter 1.3, he's giving us all things pertaining, no, his divine power has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We can have confidence in the sufficiency of scripture to equip us, 2 Timothy 3.16, and give us what we need to honor God, to please him. We don't need to go pursue worldly strategies for repenting of sin or attaining peace or finding joy or navigating trials. To go, well, I know God has, yeah, I know we have the Bible, but my situation is so unique. I need something other than scripture. That's foolishness. Trustingly resign yourself to God's wisdom, to the sufficiency of what God has revealed. We can turn to God's word with confidence and we can trustingly resign ourselves to the sufficiency of God's word. And then lastly, obediently embrace God's care for you through the church. That's your last blank, church. Obediently embrace God's care for you through the church. And I'm ending uh, preaching to the choir because you're here in the body of Christ. And not only that, but you are at significant sacrifice to other things in your life, whether it be obligations, things, sleep, uh, family. You're here on a Saturday morning. You've made a year-long commitment to be and build, to devote yourself to spiritual growth, to sharpening of one another, care for one another, prayer for one another, encouragement for one another, faithfulness in your homework, attentive listening. Um, you are embracing God's care for you through the church in, in just extraordinary ways through your participation in this. And this is a small piece of your overall participation in the body of Christ, which is just awesome. And so praise God for that. Keep doing that. Obediently embrace God's care for you through the church. God's design is for his people to be in a local body, to be in a church, to not forsake assembling together, that there would be pastors and elders who guard the flock, watch over the doctrine of the church, equip the saints for the work of ministry. And there is safety in this, especially in our Bible reading. If you find yourself embracing theology that no one around you believes, you probably need to slow down and make sure that you're listening to others as well as you're listening to yourself. There is safety for us when we're all about the same thing, giving glory and honor to God, when we all understand what scripture is, the word of God given to us, and we're laboring to understand it. And then we go to small group and we share what we're reading and God's word. And somebody goes, oh, I'm not sure that that's what that actually means. Have you considered this? Or did you know he was writing because of this? Oh, wait, no, I actually just always thought this. I, I might need to look into that a little deeper. There's a refining, a sharpening. There's a protection for one another by embracing what God has given to us in the local body. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be your child. We thank you for the tremendous gift and the infinite treasure that you have given us in your word. It is more valuable than all the riches of this world. Lord, I pray that we would conduct ourselves as such that it is 
Lord, that we would seek to faithfully please you in our Bible reading, that we would recognize that a, a reading plan or an intention to bring our hearts to your word is, is much more than just a, a task before us, but it is a privilege. It is an opportunity to worship you, to glorify you. It is a resource to be conformed more into the image of your son. It is a means of grace from you to bring about holiness and joy and contentment and peace and comfort and even instruction and admonishment where we need it. We know that those are good things. Where we go astray, it is good to be brought back under your watchful, loving, good shepherding care. And so, Lord, help us. Help us in these things. We would be hopeless without you, but because of you, we have a sure, firm hope that we can actually attain all the things that you have set before us, and it is our joy to pursue those things. Thank you for these men. Thank you for what you are doing in them and through them. We pray that you would be glorified as we go about the rest of our day, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.